today. Uh, I want to read our passage for this morning, and then I want to give you a little bit of instruction here as we've gotten past the seven churches and all now, so I feel like we're getting into uh, some new territory with this study in Revelation. But if you would, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of the book of Revelation today. If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word and for prayer. Here's where John writes to us. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes. And all around and within and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, to the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. May God bless us with the reading of this His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege of reading Your Word this morning. But also thank You for the privilege of being able to to delve into it more. This is uh, a book that uh, is full of things we're just unsure about. And yet you, Lord, through your Spirit, will guide us. And we thank you for that. Just continue to be with us if you would. Would you grant us your wisdom and strength, the courage to go out and live for you each and every day. But Lord, may it start today, right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. One thing that I would like for you all to do, to think about at least anyway, okay? We're going to be looking at a lot of different things, a lot of of symbolism. We're going to be looking at a lot of things that we're not sure whether it's factual or symbolism or whatever the case may be. I would suggest to you to bring a notepad and and pencil or pen to write down some of these things as we talk about them. Then go back. And in our, uh, on our website, there are questions each and every week. There always have been for all of our sermons. But I would suggest, if you can, if you have the time, listen to the sermon and answer those questions for yourself 
if you're not in a micro group. You're trying to, to disseminate this information as much as you possibly can. Again, understanding that much of this is going to be beyond our thinking. So we work together on this and we learn and we grow. That's my thinking. All right, it's time to strap yourself down and get ready for a fun ride over the next several months. We have gotten past the letters to the churches. We've gotten past Easter and now... We are going to look at the rest of a book that's quite frankly a mystery to most, if not all of us. I've done several Bible studies on this particular book. I may have told you this at the very beginning. I used literally dozens of commentaries to do my work with. And where we would start generally with maybe 25 to 30 people at the beginning of the class in Florida, in that particular town... It would be members from other churches as well within the community that would be a part of the class. By the time we got to the end, we might have a third of that same class still attending. Why? Because we weren't giving them the answers that they wanted. Now, I'll forewarn you. Between Brett, Fred, Kirk, and me, we won't be giving you the answers that you're wanting either. That is... When will this thing they call the end of times, when's it going to happen? Folks, can't do it. Sorry. I'm going to tell you two things each sermon, though, okay, Uh, as I preach on Revelation. First, we do not know when the Lord is returning. All right? Make sure you understand that. Second, we better be preparing for that day so we are ready when he comes. So I'm not going to give you any substantial clues you can take home with you and and try to wring out a day and time when Christ's second coming is going to take place. Ain't going to happen. I'm pretty sure all four of us will be able to have that same warning label on our sermons before we begin. Another thing as well, and we may disagree a bit on this, is, and I think... Brett hit well on this in in his intro that he did a couple of months ago. How much do we deem symbolism in the book of Revelation, and how much do we take as absolute accuracy? But part of that beauty of this study will be our ability, maybe in my case, the inability, to be able to be accurate with our words or as accurate as we can possibly be. Suffice it to say, in many instances, if we were given the exact words to describe heaven or some part of it. For instance, we, we wouldn't be able to digest it. We just couldn't take it in. Maybe there's not even words that, that are in the human language that are, are just, can we use to describe heaven. I don't know. Now, I think we'll see some of these words or attempt at these words in chapter 4 of our study today. And yet, they are words of beauty, perhaps maybe that we can digest, that we can understand today. Nothing more, but nothing less. So if you were to attempt to give chapter 4 a title or a label of what's being discussed, what do you think it might be? What are are some of the possibilities that could be for chapter 4? I think the center point of this chapter could be considered the throne of heaven or maybe more specifically the throne of God. Nothing like starting off with a bang there, right? Work at the top and work your way down. But maybe, maybe a better 
less specific title might be the simple question. And it's the title of the sermon that I gave it today. What will heaven be like? Now, we know the pathway to heaven, do we not? Look at John 14, 6. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see from here that the way to heaven is relatively limited. We know that it's a narrow road, don't we? We're told in the New Testament that wide is the road for for destruction, but narrow is the path for the way to heaven. You hear so many people try to describe heaven, don't you? Christian and non-Christian alike. And every time I start thinking about perhaps maybe seeing my grandparents again after watching things go haywire on this earth and knowing that they'd, if they could see it, what they probably would be saying. Or perhaps maybe it was somebody else in my life, somebody that I really cared about a lot that had been gone for a long time. But I start thinking about seeing them again, especially the older I get. I think, I can't wait to see them. It would really be great if I could see them today. We'll do this. We'll do that. So many questions raised about what will we know? Will we know each other in heaven? Will we be able to, let's say, play the best golf courses in heaven? Will my favorite tent team always win in heaven? I have, and perhaps maybe you said the same thing. There are so many questions that when I get there, I want to ask Jesus. I want to ask Moses. I want to ask the Apostle Paul. I want to ask so many of the other heroes and forefathers of the Scriptures that we know. Well, let me clue you in on one thing. I think those lines are going to be really, really long. Okay? But it's eternity. What else can you do, right? Absolutely. Just wait and get that time that you want. Maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's not. These are wonderful comforting thoughts to us here on earth. But the fact of the matter is, as I see it and the way I understand it, we'll not know about any of this until we get there. By now, I've I've probably turned most of you all off, or maybe y'all have tuned me out, I don't know. But you see, I think that that's the whole point concerning heaven. Our knowledge is so limited that we just wouldn't be able to grasp it even if we could. But you see, I think, uh, again, our knowledge is so limited on this particular subject, on on how we would view heaven, on what heaven would be like, on what we would be like. We hope, we dream, we do all kinds of things. But the question right now is do we or how do we prepare for heaven? Heaven. As I said a few minutes ago, today we begin our journey. And the question is, what will heaven be like? So let's look at Revelation chapter 4. I want to kind of set the scene here for us, looking at the whole chapter before we start trying to break it down to any degree. Immediately, in the earliest chapters of the book of Revelation, we see that John's already uh, gotten the vision of the letters for the seven churches. He is now standing at the door of heaven. Think about that for just a second, if you will. Standing at the door of eternity. Can you get your mind around that? That's one right there. It's just, it's impossible 
to be able to really grasp that fact. You've, you've heard about this place. You, you've, you've speculated for years for yourself. Maybe even hoped you'd get there one day. Remember the promise that Jesus gave us in John 14, 2 and 3, that He has gone to prepare that place for us, that place with many rooms, all for His beloved brothers and sisters who believe on Him as Lord and Savior. John is there at that open door into heaven. Revelation 3, 8, for that small church that was in Philadelphia, there had been an open door set before them. Why? Because their faith had been strong. Their faith had been great. Okay? But then... Look at the last, uh, the last church, the, the at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Look at Revelation three verse twenty. Jesus says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." Do you get the difference there? The faithful church, the door is open. The faithless church, the lukewarm church, the door is closed. Their hearts and minds of the church of Laodicea were closed to following Christ. This open door to heaven. When you first look, I can't imagine it. Maybe you all can better than I can, but I can't. A voice now has called John up there to that open door and has told him that he will show him what must first take place after this. From all I can gather, that first voice is the same voice from Revelation 1.10. And after this is perhaps those letters to the churches, maybe. Having been caught up in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of God now, he begins to depict everything that he sees. However, this brings to my mind 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Listen carefully. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. See, we start down at the bottom again. We begin to think, oh, this could be this, this could be this. And then we hear something like that. And it knocks us right back down to the bottom of the hill again. These are things, though, that God has going, is going to reveal to us or is revealing to us even now through His Holy Spirit. And here is John in that spirit at heaven's door. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? First, as is right and proper, is the throne. However, though he knows someone is in that throne, but the brightness of everything as he walks into that room is too much for him to be able to see exactly who it is. But we know who it is. We have a pretty good idea. That's God's throne. And that's God on the throne. So let's look inside heaven now. We're inside, we're inside heaven, okay? All John can see is brightness. And red and green with an, with an emerald rainbow. He sees a crystal glass-like sea <clears throat> emanating from the throne. He hears or sees lightning flashing from the throne. He hears loud peals of thunder shaking the very surface. Around that throne, he sees 24 thrones with 24 elders sitting there. They have pure white garments on and are wearing golden crowns. Before the throne... Seven torches of, of, of fire, which represents the seven spirits of God. Now, what might those seven spirits be? Isaiah 11.2 refers this and says it's the, uh, the, 
They're the Spirit of God, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. These could be used, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you may see these terminologies again as part of the spiritual gifts. Okay. Now, also around the throne, there are four creatures. They had eyes all around the front and the back. One creature looked like a lion. One an ox, one had the face of a man, one at last looked like an eagle flying. All of them had six wings. Constantly they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it's talking about Jesus, God the Son, and how He is the same yesterday Today and forever. Then the 24 elders begin to bow down and praise God, complete with uh, placing their crowns at the foot of the throne with these words. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you all created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Those words take us right back to Genesis 1. And on where we see that all things were created by God. And then look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So who's John talking about right there? Well, of course, he's talking about the God of all creation. And he's talking about God the Son, Jesus Christ. So here you are, facing all of this, trying to take it all in. How are you doing so far? It's a challenge, isn't it? And yet, remember what we have said on more than one occasion this morning. We can't even begin to grasp all of this. So... Let's see if we can unravel some of the info that we've just received. First, with all this taking place, can you get a feel for the majesty and the power of God? Can you begin to grasp the glory of God in this one scene alone? Yeah, me either. And we're just getting started. We have heard many of these words before In Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. This is why I want you to take notes, because there are a lot of... of, How do you prove Scripture? With what? With Scripture. Absolutely right. So this is what you want. You want some of this backup to be able to go back and look at, to be able to reflect what you have heard, what you have read. These are not new terms for us from Isaiah 6, okay? But we can kind of get a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like for us through them. There's going to be worship. There's going to be praise. Doesn't sound like it's going to be the classic Presbyterian style of worship either. Where we just sit on our hands as we worship. Kind of hard to lift a hand when it's sitting up under your legs, isn't it? Let's look at some things that we can kind of take away from viewing heaven for the first time here, okay? I figured that that would be a laugher. First, in a nutshell, we know God is on His throne, okay? There's no worrying about anything once we are there. 
The sights and sounds surrounding God's throne are not for the purpose of frightening anyone. It's resounding God's purity. For the seven churches that we talked about before, it was this purity that they were to measure themselves against. Think of the emerald rainbow and what comes to mind. And no, not the Wizard of Oz, okay? The rainbow given by God was a promise to who? To Noah, right? The covenant made with him. And it reminds us, perhaps, of the covenant God made with man through his son, Jesus. The colors of these stones. Jasper, perhaps, represents God's holiness. While the carnelian, or red stone, uh, is God's justice or his judgment. The 24 seats around God's throne. that have been de- Some have depicted it as the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 disciples of Christ. Or 24 elders of the church. Or maybe 24 angels. The white garments depicted Christ's imputed righteousness into them. The gold crown signifying God's glory on each one. The seven lamps of fire represent the seven spirits of God. As we mentioned a little while ago, and it comes from verse 5. The sea could be the sea of people. The four living creatures ministers as they stand, or minister as they stand between the people and God. The wings of the creatures help protect the people from God's glory. The eyes all around. Could be talking about all-encompassing wisdom and knowledge. The representation of what the four look like. Some of the strongest beasts in, in mankind. The representation. It looks at, at like in, from Revelation 5.5, 5, we see Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. It represents or can represent bravery. The ox can represent patience. While the eagle could represent aspirations of our passage to heaven, perhaps. And man, intelligence. We might have hit on every one of those representations first time out. Or we may have missed them all. I don't know. I refer you back to what may or may not be understood by man. Or maybe we weren't supposed to be able to figure them out at all. The possibilities are quite vast here for each of us. For every writer you have concerning commentaries on the book of Revelation, you may have that many possible representations on topics that I just gave you all. However, bottom line, as we stated earlier, God is on His throne, and that we can take to the bank. There's so many questions we could ask here that after um, here after that one important fact. What will our role be in heaven? It's hard to say what we're going to be doing all the time, isn't it? We we see from this chapter, though, that there will be praising God involved. For only He is worthy of that glory. And yet, what makes that so different from today? Only He is worthy of that honor. God possesses all power, so why shouldn't we be giving Him that honor or praise today? And we have examples there with the leadership around God's throne. What is, what's the first catechism question uh, and, and the answer to that? Do you all remember? First catechism in his, his question is, what is man's chief end? you remember the answer? 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Okay? In other words, in many ways, heaven has begun right here on earth for us. In fact, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, believers in Him, and we go out and we share the gospel, the good news with those around us, eternal life has begun for us now. Because if we live that life that we have been given is exemplified by Christ Himself, the next stop for us is heaven. This is just a, a bump in the road. That's the promise that's given to us by God. I like the way that the, the passage that, that Brett used this morning. There is nothing that will be able to snatch us out of the hand of Jesus Christ. That's a firm grip, isn't it? Glorifying God is what joy is all about. To glorify God is to experience joy in heaven. Look at how these 24 are worshiping God. Look at what the four creatures are doing and saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I did a, 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 a funeral service in Winsboro just this past Thursday. And as myself and the family were walking in to all the people that were there, they sang, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And I thought, yep, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing this more than once. We're going to get to know those words pretty good. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But we can say those words right now, can't we? Things of this earth get us down, certainly. There, there, there's sadness in this life because of sin and imperfection that's in the world. And yet... Look at what is happening to John at the moment he walks through the open door of heaven. After he gets knocked backwards by God's pure light, he's bound to see and hear the shouts of acclamation for the worshiping and praising that is taking place. Because God's done it again. He's brought another of his children home. That alone is worth praising, wouldn't you say? We just mentioned that in this life there's sadness and a lot of pain and frustration. Peter said it well, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, when he said, In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the, fire, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praises and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen Him, you love Him. Though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. In this you can rejoice you can have joy, even in the darkest of times. As we can rejoice being reconciled to our Savior, we can rejoice in being given eternal life with hope, with joy, with meaning, and with purpose today. Joy is what comes to us when we're able to more adequately contemplate the greatness of our God while we're still here. And how do we do that? By coming together and to worship Him. 
My Satan, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John's telling us right here in chapter 4, it's all going to be worth it, guys. Don't you know that John had to have had doubts with everything that had happened to him? Being boiled in oil, then being exiled on the island of Patmos, watching his friend Jesus die, so many things that would have tried his faith to the very core. John is in essence here in Revelation chapter 4 telling us, stay the course. Keep your faith. Be joyous in season and out because you've got a big time, healthy dose of joy waiting for you. Actually says that one translation of the, the book of John, I'm sure. But in the meantime, we need to remember one more thing about joy. And that is, we can find it here on earth. That's Christ gave us this glory. Philippians 2 tells us that Christ came to earth, not counting equality with God, a thing to be grasped and used to His advantage while here on earth. He became a servant born in our likeness, and He humbled Himself beyond anything we could ever comprehend. He became obedient to a death that should never have been His. didn't have to be His, but because He loved us and wanted for us that joy that passes our understanding He died the death on a cross. Folks, Revelation chapter 4, whether we try to figure out what the colors mean, whether we get a good grasp on the 24 who praise God or the creatures, much less the seven lamps of fire, know this. God is indeed on His throne. He is to be glorified, and we should rejoice because He is indeed there. Many don't believe this. Many, even if they're believers, don't want to try and tackle what all of these symbols mean. If nothing else that you get from this sermon today, do know this. The joy that John experienced firsthand there in that throne room is waiting for all who believe on Jesus the Christ, the Son, as Lord and Savior of their lives. But the joy that is waiting us, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. That joy that is awaiting us can be found beginning right here, right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glimpse of heaven. A snippet beyond our comprehension. And yet, Lord, you've opened these these doors to us that we might be able to understand a little more completely. That door of, of heaven was open for John. And it's open to us today as well. So would you bless us? Would you continue to guide us and strengthen us? And Lord, may we always look to you uh, for that joy that can be ours now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our catechism question this morning is catechism question number 16. And this catechism, yeah, this catechism question is this. What is